Chapter One of the Sport of the Gods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashley Jane. The Sport of the Gods by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Chapter One: The Hamiltons. Fiction has said so much in regret of the old days when there were plantations and overseers and masters and slaves that it was good to come upon such a household as Barry Hamilton's, if for no other reason than that it afforded a relief from the monotony of tiresome iteration. The little cottage in which he lived with his wife Fanny, who was a housekeeper to the Oakleys, and his son and daughter Joe and Kit, sat back in the yard some hundred paces from the mansion of his employer. It was somewhat in the manner of the old cabin in the quarters, with which usage as well as tradition had made both master and servant familiar. But, unlike the cabin of the elder day, it was a neatly furnished modern house, the home of a typical good-living negro. For twenty years Berry Hamilton had been butler for Morris Oakley. He was one of the many slaves who upon their accession to freedom had not left the South, but had wandered from place to place in their own beloved section, waiting, working, and struggling to rise with its rehabilitated fortunes. The first faint signs of recovery were being seen when he came to Morris Oakley as a servant. Through thick and thin he remained with him, and when the final upward tendency of his employer began his fortunes had increased in like manner. When having married, Oakley bought the great house in which he now lived. He left the little servant's cottage in the yard, for, as he said laughingly, there is no telling when Berry will be following my example and be taking a wife unto himself. His joking prophecy came true very soon. Berry had long had a tenderness for Fanny, the housekeeper, as she retained her post under the new Mrs. Oakley, and as there was a cottage ready to his hand, it promised to be cheaper and more convenient all around to get married. Fanny was willing, and so the matter was settled. Fanny had never regretted her choice, nor had Berry ever had cause to curse his utilitarian ideas. The stream of years had followed pleasantly and peacefully with them. Their little sorrows had come, but their joys had been many. As time went on, the little cottage grew in comfort. It was replenished with things handed down from the house from time to time, and with others bought from the pair's earnings. Berry had time for his lodge, and Fanny time to spare for her own house and garden. Flowers bloomed in the little plot in front and behind it. Vegetables and greens testified to the housewife's industry. Over the door of the little house, in a fine Virginia creeper, bent and fell in graceful curves, and a cluster of insistent morning glories clung in summer about its stalwart stock. It was into this bower of peace and comfort that Joe and Kitty were born. They brought a new sunlight into the house and a new joy to their father's and mother's hearts. Their early lives were pleasant and carefully guarded. They got what schooling the town afforded, but both went to work early, Kitty helping her mother and Joe learning the trade of barber. Kit was the delight of her mother's life. She was a pretty, cheery little thing and could sing like a lark. Joe, too, was of a cheerful disposition, but from scraping the chins of aristocrats came to imbibe some of their ideas, and rather too early in life bid fair to be a dandy. But his father encouraged him, for he said, It's the proper thing for a man who weighs some quality to have quality manners and to wear quality clothes. Tent no use to be a hummelin' dad boy too much, Barry, Fan had replied, although she did fully as much hummelin' as her husband. Hitcher do make him bigoty and a bigoty poor nigger in abomination before the face of the Lord. 
but I know ten no use of talking to you, for you're plumb bound up in dat joe. Her own eyes would follow the boy lovingly and proudly, even as she chided. She could not say very much either, for Berry always had the reply that she was spoiling Kit out of all reason. The girl did have the prettiest clothes of any of her race in the town, and when she was to sing for the benefits of the A.M.E. Church, or for the benefit of her father's society, the tribe of Benjamin, there was nothing too good for her to wear. In this, too, they were aided and abetted by Mrs. Oakley, who also took a lively interest in the girl. So the two doting parents had their chats and their jokes at each other's expense, and went bravely on, doing their duties and spoiling their children much as white fathers and mothers are wont to do. What the less fortunate negroes of the community said to them, and their offspring is really not worth while. Envy has a sharp tongue, and when has not the aristocrat been the target for the plebeian sneers? Joe and Kit were respectively eighteen and sixteen at the time when the preparations for Morris Oakley's farewell dinner to his brother Francis were agitating the whole Hamilton household. All of them had a hand in the work. Joe had shaved the two men, Kit had helped Mrs. Oakley's maid, the mother had fretted herself weak over the shortcomings of a cook that had been in the family nearly as long as herself, while Berry was stern and dignified in anticipation of the glorious figure he was to make in the serving. When all was ready, peace again settled upon the Hamiltons. Mrs. Hamilton, in the whitest of white aprons, prepared to be on hand to annoy the cook still more. Kit was ready to station herself where she could view the finery, Joe had condescended to promise to be home in time to eat some of the good things, and Berry. Berry was gorgeous in his evening suit with the white waistcoat as he directed the nimble waiters hither and thither. End of chapter 1 Recording by Ashley Jane